0: Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. Hello and welcome to Episode 8 of the Lean Solutions Podcast. My name is Patrick Adams, and I have the opportunity today to introduce you to a recording of a webinar that I had with uh, a good friend, Edward Blackman. He is a global consultant and the founder of Kelda Consulting in West Michigan. Um, He is an amazing coach, uh, I can tell you from personal experience, but uh, Edward is uh, a certified agile, he's certified in agile as a scrum master, an agile coach, he's a Six Sigma black belt, um, a lean coach and instructor, he has a master's degree in organizational behavior management. Um, and just provides a ton of value around innovation um, and Edward uh, and I actually talked during this webinar about how behavioral behavioral science and how behavior influences change so in this episode we actually talk about uh, positive feedback we talk about performance reviews we talk about the red bead experiments and how um, how a system can break a, a good person um, and then we, we wrap up the conversation talking about company strategy. So this is a very powerful, uh, powerful 40 minutes of conversation around behavioral science and how it, it can impact change within your organization. Enjoy.
1: Um, we're going to start out as I introduce our guest speaker today. We're going to start out with a poll like we do every week. So you're going to receive a poll. Um, this is uh, our first question of the, the hour. And it's how much of your daily behaviors are impacted by your company strategy? Okay, so we have the poll. You should have it out there uh, right now. Please answer the questions. Uh, it's either none, some, or a lot. How much of your daily behaviors are impacted by your company strategy? I'll give you guys a few minutes to answer that question while I introduce our guest speaker. Our guest speaker for today is actually a good friend of mine. Uh, Edward Blackman, and Edward is the founder and managing partner of Kelda Consulting. His experience includes 20 plus years of working to transform businesses, uh, resulting in tremendous improvements to safety, quality, cost, delivery, and morale. Uh, Edward has a master's degree in behavioral science, and along with undergraduate degrees in psychology and mathematics, uh, he is a certified Six Sigma Black Belt Uh, He is certified in labor standards, a lean Toyota production system instructor and coach, a Kata coach, a certified Scrum Master, and an Agile coach. And I will say, I've worked with Edward personally in in a few different areas, and he has been an amazing coach to me as well. So I'm excited to hear uh, what he has to say today about behavioral science and how it applies to business. All right, so let's end the poll. I'm going to shoot the results over to you, Edward, and to everyone else so they can see. Wow. All right, so with that, let me turn it over, Edward. Uh, Thank you,
2: Patrick. Absolutely. uh, That we see here is 2% none, 51% some, and 47% a lot. And so I I guess the question becomes, what does perfect look like? What does ideal state look like? Um,
1: What do you think, Patrick? What does ideal look like? I would say that our daily behavior should be impacted by our company strategy a lot. I mean, I, w- I would say that uh, it definitely has to be impacted by company strategy. We need to have a direction uh, and know exactly how those, uh, those daily behaviors are going to uh, not only uh, affect our what we're doing day by day, but how it's gonna impact us long-term and, and really affect that company strategy.
2: Very well said. Absolutely. I I completely agree. If your strategy is not impacting the daily behaviors of your team, uh, then what is it doing? And if there's a gap there, that gap is what we would call a problem from a continuous improvement perspective. So we have quite the mix of an audience today between behaviorists and uh, CI practitioners and uh, some leaders and executives as well. So I'm going to Uh, avoid getting too technical in either field and and try to stay a a little bit high level. Uh, But aligning on what is perfection for your company is really value added. Whether or not you reach it or not is a whole nother matter, but it it is a good direction setting approach uh, to ask what does better look like? What does perfect look like? And we'll
1: get into that a bit more in the the presentation as well. And then you just let me know, I I know we have a second poll question too around uh, uh, company strategy, just let me know when you want me to shoot that out to everybody.
2: Okay, sounds good. Uh, so the high level overview for today's behavioral science applied to business, uh, actually done a, a couple of these uh, presentations recently. And uh, one of the things I'd like to do differently today is instead of stay say the high level, talk about a specific example of applying behavioral science uh, to continuous improvement approach and see the impact of that. Uh, the background and overview, um, here's actually my brochure. Uh, Patrick already covered some of that. Uh, the topic for today, and then the specific example that we'll get into is strategy, and we'll get into what's called the, the perfect day workshop and mountain mapping.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about that.
2: Good, good. It's a uh, For the CI folks on the line, it's a version of uh and Connery, if you're familiar with the concept. Yeah. Uh, So example concepts from behavioral science, honestly, we could do webinars in every single one of these things, but I uh, throw out a few topics so uh, it could pique people's interest and then uh, later on they could uh, Google search it or give us more information about what they would like a deeper dive on. Uh, Behavioral pinpointing, one of the uh, first steps with behavioral science is what is behavior? And we like to talk about um, behavior is something that's observable. Uh, So if I put a video camera on you, what's recorded is the actual behavior. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, inner thoughts or cognition, things like that. We're talking about more what's uh, external, what's observable. Uh, Caveat with that I'll say is uh, vocal behavior is also considered a type of behavior. So um, there's a field within behavioral science called uh, verbal behavior. And there's a lot of books on that one. So, but uh, speaking, talking is a type of behavior that's observable. Uh, second piece, uh, response effort analysis. Uh, this is where we get into uh, what's called contingencies of behavior. So we start to talk about whether or not the consequence of a behavior is enough uh, to drive it. Uh, the effort, if you will, involve, is it worth the outcome that I get? Feedback systems, uh, there's a lot of work done by behavioral scientists around feedback systems. And in fact, for some consulting that's most of what they do is design better feedback systems and feedback is greatly important Uh, uh, one of the struggles companies have is they don't necessarily have good feedback systems or what they have might be actually punitive in nature so feedback can be positive negative neutral it doesn't have to just be punishing and so we don't want to associate feedback with just punishment contingencies
1: they're called that's and that's such an important topic too Edward, it, because a lot of times, uh, as as leaders, or you know, even when I'm out working with different uh, management, and I, I watch them, that it does seem like feedback is always negative, it, it, or the majority of the time it's negative, negative. and it, it's it's almost like we have to be very intentional about switching that up, and you know, going out and being very um, active around positive feedback, and and because the impact of the positive feedback is probably even greater that way higher, you know, as far as the impact on those people than, you know, what the negative is. Would Absolutely,
2: and uh, to, to boil it down a little bit, uh, if every time I interact with my leader and that leader only gives me negative feedback, mm-hmm. then I'm going to associate that leader with negative feelings. Right. right. And, and that's, that's not a good thing. Uh, we need to actually identify, see, and reinforce or uh, reward uh, positive behaviors as well. And, and it, it's really important. There's actual ratios out there that talk about it. Uh, there's a thing called a sandwiching technique. There's a lot of approaches to doing it. I'll just say that um, from kind of a smart out perspective, uh, positive feedback should be more than zero. <laughs> so uh, if it's not happening at all, then let's try to increase it. And it's also a great way to grow coaches Uh, to see who is exhibiting the the right behaviors, rewarding that, and
1: then grow them into potential coaches for others. Sure. And for those those of you that understand uh, leader standard work too, I would, me personally, I would put that, I would dedicate time. I mean, you're always looking for opportunities to give feedback, right? But I would dedicate time to be very intentional, especially if it's not something that you are normally doing, right? If, If you have to remind yourself Put it on your leader standard work and make sure that you're getting out there and, and giving positive feedback to your, to your team members. Right? Absolutely,
2: Absolutely. very good point. Uh, D, I like to throw D in because uh, there's a thing you know called pre-back principle or pre-backing and matching law. Uh, this is where we start to get into a bit of the math associated with uh, behavioral science. Uh, picnic analysis, I got some feedback from folks that uh, they would actually like a webinar just on uh, this one. And hmm. this is a specific tool that gets into uh, if a consequence of behavior is uh, uh, positive, immediate and certain, or negative, immediate and certain, um, a way to see that it's more likely to influence behavior than something that's uh, delayed or uncertain. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it's actually a, a fascinating one. We'll probably do something on that. We, later.
1: we should talk about that. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll throw something out there in the next couple months uh, around that topic. That would be cool. I'd love to grow more behavioral scientists. Uh, Very
2: nice. Uh, uh, performance management. Uh, so unfortunately, uh, performance management does uh, tend to have a negative connotation in a lot of companies. Sure. Uh, it tends to be associated with punishment and things like that. Honestly, my my view on performance management is if it's done really well, uh, it, it can really grow a company. And your performance management approach should be aligned with your company's strategy. And that's where I need to look at certain projects and objectives to make sure that uh, we're not uh, designing in what's called perverse incentives. So uh, when we try to design reward systems uh, for certain behaviors, sometimes we actually accidentally um, create perverse systems that create the opposite behavior. And it's it's really unfortunate when that happens, I've had quite a few experiences like that where projects will continue uh, because of the objectives set in the beginning of the year. And yet uh, the environment changed. It's dynamic. And right. so people continue with the project because it's tied to their bonus instead of having some type of PDCA or feedback cycle that allows you to adjust those objectives.
1: Yes. I love that you're throwing that out there because that is probably one of the number one uh, things that I hear uh, when we talk about performance management is, you know, what happens when uh, something changes? Do we just keep pushing forward even though this this objective doesn't matter anymore? You know, it, it was in, put in my objectives three months ago. Do we continue even though, you know, COVID hits, right? Exactly. We have to be, we have to know that, uh, things are going to happen. And we have to be able to adjust and, and be flexible with our team in order to uh, to have a good performance management system in place. So I appreciate the fact that you brought that up.
2: Yeah, very good point, uh, Patrick. It, it's very salient with what we have uh, going on uh, right now. Uh, right. And, and whatever our system is for setting up annual objectives and, you know, whether or not we should have annual objectives at all is a, a whole other conversation. But uh, we should design any objective setting system to be adjustable. Uh, right. We are in a dynamic environment, not a static environment. So when right. new things come up, we shouldn't punish people um, for trying to adjust their behaviors.
1: Right. Uh, Tyler has a quick question around this one before we move on, Edward. He wanted to know, uh, are the goals related, the goals that we're talking about, are these related to business success or competencies for the employees?
2: Uh, yes. So. Uh, It's related to all of those. So the individual competencies or skills of an individual should be aligned with the overall objectives. Uh, So to take a step back, if we want to increase our quality uh, for the year and we have certain projects uh, associated with improving our quality, then we need to ask, well, do people have the competencies or skills to accomplish those projects? And so there's a chain that happens there that chain is something that we call a system. And so is the system aligned and set up for success? Perfect. Uh, Behavioral engineering model. Uh, So this is something I love. Uh, There's a great book uh, by Gilbert uh, written in 1978 uh, that goes over something called the behavioral engineering model or sometimes called matrix. Uh, But it looks at uh, the environment around an individual and it looks at six different categories to see whether or not the individual is set up for success. If we're getting behavior other than what we want, if we're getting outcomes other than what we want, the metrics are, are uh, still not aligned. We have KPI gaps, key performance indicator gaps. Don't blame the individual. If, if you feel the need to blame anything, blame the system or the environment around the individual. That's First, right. Look and see whether or not the individual is set up for success. And uh, the B, uh, behavioral engineering model is really good at a, as a diagnostic tool to see whether or not the individual is set up for success. Ask that first. And if everything is lined up, and and I would say 90% of the time in my experience or majority of the time, um, people are not set up for success. If if after that you still feel the need to blame the individual, maybe we can go there. Uh, I just want to say that most people do not go to work to do a bad job. That's they right. go there uh, to be successful. They take pride in their work. So blaming the individual is really uh, a deleterious path. You
1: don't want to go down there. First, see if they're set up for success. That's right. Uh, and, and there's so many ways that you can do that, too. And, and it just made me think about the, the red bead experiment, which is a great uh, – if you if those of you that are on the, the, the webinar with us right now, if you're not familiar with the red bead experiment, you can go out on YouTube – and you can search it and just watch a, a video on the, the, the Red Beat experiment. But it's just a great, uh, a great way to, to understand how the system can really uh, create some problems for your employees. When, and, and just to, to what you're, you're talking about, Edward, um, people, people come to work and they want to do a good job. You know, and we have to be cognizant of that and know that it's the system that we need to focus on, not the people. Yes, absolutely. Um, We did have a question uh, that popped in. How does objectives and performance reviews, uh, MBO, which Dr. Demi considered a deadly disease, align with strategy and development, or does it not? And then do you believe that that performance reviews can be done correctly without pitting employee against employee? Yes. Uh, So...
2: Uh, Dr. Edward Deming is the gentleman that we're talking about. Brilliant individual uh, had uh, a lot, um, a lot to do in North America with the uh, quality movement. A lot to do in. Um, uh, Asian with the quality movement in uh, Japan, uh, but he uh, is also the one that you want to Google along with the red beta experiment, he was uh, famous uh, for that. Um, but management, management by objectives, MBO was considered a really bad thing uh, uh, for him. Uh, I'm gonna say a hundred percent of the companies that i have worked with uh, have some type of objectives that they set on an annual basis. Um, it's extremely rare to find a company that doesn't. So. If you're in an organization that does management by objectives or has some type of objective setting approach on an annual basis, how do you be successful in that environment, right? If you're an executive or CEO or CXO of some type, um, maybe you have influence on that approach of objective setting, Uh, but I'm gonna say, go out on a leap and say a majority of the people on this call and they'll listen to this webinar probably aren't at the C-suite level. Mm -hmm. How do you probably work within that? Right. Uh, you do some of the things that Patrick and I are talking about. Uh, you try to influence whether or not that system is adaptable. Right? Uh, is it set for the entire year and you know, blinders on no matter what, we're going to uh, uh, finish this project. Um, okay, that's, that's a bad approach. And so you walk people through that. You give them some hands-on exercises like Red Beat Experiment, which is excellent hands-on experience um, yes. to learn about that. Uh, you give examples from other companies that have been more successful. So one of the basics in behavioral science is um, we don't want to uh, institute a new behavior that only stays in place by the audit police. We want, if we want a new behavior to stick, we want the new behavior to be easier and more successful than the old behavior. Right? And so the classic example is typewriters. Um, Patrick, do I have to force you to stop using your typewriter and move over to your laptop? No. No right, it's your laptop is actually easier to use um, from a bureau perspective. You receive more rewards, you have faster feedback, you're able to edit and change things faster than you were the old typewriter. So your new behaviors are easier than the old ones. So there's a lot around that one. Um, I, I'm hoping that's answering the questions a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I,
1: I will fully <laughs> acknowledge there's a lot of passion around MBOs. Right, I understand that too. <laughs> we, we, we could probably do a whole webinar on MBOs alone Uh, so maybe that's something we'll think about for the future.
2: Uh, Yeah good point. Okay Um, and so the last one I want to bring up is a perfect day exercise and creating a map and so that's the one we're going to take a deeper dive into today. Uh, So this might be a good time to ask
1: the second poll question. Absolutely so I'm going to launch a second poll to everybody Uh, and for those of you that have joined us after we started Uh, We do have a chat box open up, please use the chat box with any questions or comments or support information that you want to really engage with with us. Use the chat box, make sure you choose all panelists and all attendees uh, so that that everyone on the call can see um, what your question is and we'll we'll do our best to answer those. The poll is now in progress, it's how often do you look at your company strategy, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, or annually. How often are you actually taking a look at your company strategy? So the the answers are coming in. We'll give you guys a few minutes to uh, answer that poll, and then we'll end the poll. Um, So looks like we have quite a range here of of answers, Edward. Uh, Just just another minute or two, and I'm going to end the polling. How often do you look at your company strategy? All right, I'm going to end the polling with that and share their results. There you go.
2: Yeah, that's about what we would expect. Actually, probably a little bit better uh, mm-hmm. than, than we would I would worked. say so too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have some good behaviors. Uh, the extreme non-example, uh, some behavioral sites, we talk about examples and non-examples. Examples are what you want. Non-examples are what you don't want. And so the extreme non-example for uh, company strategy is, you know, it's set uh, once a year or once every few years, uh, depending on what you talk about for mission, vision and strategy. Um, but the extreme non-example is setting it once a year and then putting it on the shelf, letting it collect dust and never referring to it. Right. Uh, the opposite approach of that is whenever I'm facing a decision and I need to do A or B, well, which one lines up with our strategy? Uh, so, oh, let's look at our strategy, have it ever-green, ever-present, and say, oh, this uh, decision B lines up better with our strategy. Let's do that instead. And so if your strategy isn't a guide for your decision-making, then there's a there's an opportunity, there's a gap there. Okay. So uh, terminology. Uh, so uh, we in behavioral science and we in continuous improvement uh, tend to get a bit pedantic about uh, terminology. Um, there's lexicons in both fields. Uh, I, I want to say uh, I'm not looking to get into any type of deep religious debate about terminology. Uh, I, I would say most of us were trained by different mentors uh, in a variety of comp- uh uh, contexts by different companies. And so we all have different versions and different exposures to continuous to permit to lean to behavioral science things like that. that. Uh, so I would ask for a bit of uh, uh, leeway when we're using some of these terms. They might not be exactly how you were trained on them, um, but uh, give them a try, see if they're successful, um, stay true to the experimental mindsets, uh, PDCA mindset, and give them a try and see if they help. If they don't, you know, adjust.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you throwing that out there, Edward. Because we do have uh, individuals from all over the globe, different industries, uh, healthcare, manufacturing. Uh, so, you know, there 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 are, there are going to be different terminologies. And so, I appreciate you you mentioning that. Thank you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, percolate uh, is a, a workshop. Uh, I learned this from uh, this approach from Herman Miller primarily. Uh, they were taught by uh, Toyota, um, uh, Mr. Oba but they came into a healthcare client I was a company I was working for and asked us a really basic question in our clinics what is a perfect day for your customers in this case patients and what is a perfect day for your staff including you know physicians clinicians um, administrative staff all them and they went up to a whiteboard and listed out their responses perfect day for the patient perfect day for staff employees and it was fascinating because Then they got into, well, perfect day for a patient is, uh, you know, honestly, I have to fill out zero paperwork. Uh, I get to go directly to the exam room, right? There's no waiting, things like that. Mm -hmm. Perfect day for a physician is, uh, her patient is in the room and ready uh, when she enters the room, things like that. And so they listed out all these attributes of the perfect day for a patient, for staff, and then they said, okay, let's, let's um, add numbers to this. And so 0% waiting, 100% on time, right? That's a, what we call a delivery metric, right? Uh, zero paperwork, right? Well, paperwork might be necessary, um, but uh, no patient ever goes to a clinic or to a hospital to have a perfect uh, form filling out experience no that's that's silly they go there to get healthy um on it's an unfortunate necessity in many cases to uh fill out forms so if that's not why they're there if that's not a perfect day for them how do we minimize the stuff that doesn't add
1: value to the customer right and maximize the stuff that does right does that make sense it does make sense yeah and and uh i know you're going to show us some examples here uh you mentioned you know the the 100 percent this or or uh, perfect that, um, and sometimes people get a little hung up on on that the idea of you know well we're never going to arrive at a hundred percent value add. We're never going to arrive at zero defects. We're never going to arrive at one piece flow. We're never going to have the perfect experience. So why do we even throw it out there? Um, but I, I think I know exactly why. Well, how you would answer that question, which would be the same as me, and the fact that it doesn't matter if it's possible or not. It gives us direction. And it keeps us on in line and when things happen that pull us off the, the, the trail, the, the, that perfect you know, uh, goal is what keeps us aligned and puts us back on track, right?
2: Uh, absolutely, you nailed it, Patrick, um, you, you nailed it. It's uh, so to uh, people often uh, when they first get exposed to this approach, they'll uh, quote Voltaire, uh, perfect is the enemy of better. Yeah, yeah, sure. Perfect is the enemy of better if it prevents action. Yeah, if you're um, uh, not iterating or moving towards it, if you're just standing still and debating what is perfect. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that one. But uh, to your point, perfect sets a direction. And and I'll say it this way. The analogy is, uh, let's say I want to travel with my family and this bad time of year for travel, I get that. But let's say we want to travel. Well, we pick a destination and our destination is either Florida or California. Well, then we decide how we're going to get there. It's a what versus how conversation. But once we agree that, no, we want to go to Florida, you know, that's where the relatives are, good time of year, you know, yada, yada. Uh, Disney at one time was open, unfortunately not now, but uh, but you agree on the direction, you agree on what is perfect. And then you start iterating, working towards that, come up in, coming up with your KPIs, your objectives and things like that, and you pick your path, your journey towards that direction. That's right. So once you have alignment on what is perfect, and that is a a big what if, um, then going in that direction is so much easier. Uh, So some of the terminology that we'll use, um, current state is where you are today. Uh, Ideal state is what we would call perfection. It's called something some. In, uh, slightly different in Kata, um and, and continuous improvement and uh, behavioral science even has a different version of that uh, for our, uh, lexicon, but uh, uh, we'll talk about current state, ideal state, and then future states iterating towards ideal state. Perfect. Uh, some big collages of places where this has been done, done it all over the, the globe, uh, actually. Uh, Here's these, uh, the visual that's associated with it. Here's a basic one around visual management systems. So uh, starting down at the lower left hand corner is your current state, right? And the first, one of the first questions that we ask with visual management systems, in this case, we'll talk about um, Kanbans in an administrative setting, not Kanbans on a manufacturing floor. They are sure. applied differently in those settings. Yes. Can we see the flow of work, right? Next question is, can we see the unit of work moving through that flow? Uh, then can we see people huddling around that work and then we keep talking up until we get to the upper right hand side which is where we start talking about perfection so perfection in a visual management system uh, setting uh, for administrative areas is all the vice presidents or all of your executives have aligned visual management systems that work together right so it's a bit of the symbolism associated with climbing the mountain to get towards perfection Mm-hmm. A, a little less abstract um, uh, after we talk about the, the steps. Uh, I'll leave this up here for a minute. There, are, um, These are basically the steps that you go through in a workshop to get people aligned around this perfect day and creating this visual that they will use later on in life. Um, but I like to use very basic six box value stream
1: maps. Um, yeah, very nice. That, that that makes it very simple to be able to understand that the steps that it takes to get there. And I know you're going to walk us through that. But I also want to point out how powerful it is to get your thinking out of your head and, and make it visual. You know, you you, you hit on that uh, very briefly, but you know, we we have to we have to make things visual in order to bridge the gaps uh, for you know language and cultural differences. And I mean, if if I can visually see something, and uh, it makes the it, it makes it makes it a lot easier for me to understand if I can visually see it, um, in, it in this, the, the other person who maybe speaks a different language or understands things differently or has a different cultural background is gonna see it the same way uh, versus us talking and, and keeping it in my head. It's it's very much more difficult for them to understand exactly what's happening. So the, the, the power in making it visual is such an important concept.
2: Uh, absolutely. Hey, Patrick, are you familiar with the tool versus behavior debate? Uh, yes, uh, I am, yes. Okay, uh, so one of the things that, that pops up a lot is um, uh, CI people like to talk about, well, let's not you know, do a tool-based approach, let's do a behavior-based approach. Uh, um, from my perspective, it's not a, a, a either-or, it's a false dichotomy. Um, part of uh, setting up people for success is making sure that they have the tools that they need in order to be successful. One of those tools might be a visual uh, to help them. And to your point, it helps get the thinking out of our heads and make it observable for a bunch of people. Plus, I love the approach because it gets the debate away from, hey, you know, Patrick and I aren't aligned. No, 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 no. Um, let's put our thinking on the visual and let's attack the visual, not attack each other. And when you have the visual, you're able to actually align and collaborate on the debate on the visual instead of each other.
1: Hmm. Powerful. That's a powerful, powerful way to explain it.
2: Um, okay. uh, so here's a, an example template. There's uh, different software you can use for this. Uh, Sheets, uh, Excel, um, uh, Google Slides or um, PowerPoints. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things. Whiteboards um, is another uh, thing that you can use within uh, Zoom. Yeah. Uh, if you have that functionality. Uh, but if you, uh, can you see my cursor right now, Patrick? Yes. Okay, so again, you start down at current state where you're at today and you travel up the mountain Uh, to ideal state you take a journey up the mountain it's discontinuous because to the point we made earlier you might not reach ideal state you might not reach perfection sure what so you talk about current state where you're at today ideal state and then you start talking about future state one future state two three four and so on so iterating towards ideal state then you talk about the objectives that get you to future state one the objectives that will get you to future state two and so on and to give a, a concrete example, here's uh, one that's actually filled out. So here's an Agile journey map. Um, this is the Agile journey that one org was uh, taking their version of Agile. If you're not familiar with Agile, uh, and again, don't beat me up on terminology, one view of Agile is it is continuous improvement applied to IP. Um, there's a lot more to it, but just the short and sweet of it. Uh, So here you can see they're going up the mountain, trying to reach ideal states. They have uh, annual goals they're trying to meet, quarterly ones, end of year 2018. Here are the uh, items that they're going to reach for future state eight with automated deployment of code into production, things like that. So you can see this is the visual that the team used to align on here's what we want to accomplish, here's how we want to accomplish it. And we're going to talk about uh, whether or not we're getting there, the reflection cycle that we like to use. So here's another example. Uh, so here's where we start getting a little bit more concrete into the KPIs. Uh, in CI, we like to talk about the five standard KPIs of safety, quality, delivery, which is uh, speed, uh, cost, and people slash morale. So here we're journeying up the mountain, discontinuous, up to ideal state. This is a blank template where we're able to see, okay, where are we at current state? Uh, if we're in an administrative setting, let's say we're in finance, or let's say we're in HR. How do we define a, uh, safety in HR, right? Is it physical harm, um, mental harm, things like that? And if it, if it is, how would we associate a, a score with that, right, mm-hmm. and, and often when I do these workshops, uh, the response is, we don't know. You know, we've never defined safety in that way before, right? Um, And that comes up for a lot of these KPI categories. So the behaviors associated with having that debate, a team of people, a team of leaders, frontline staff, having that debate and trying to define, here are our top five most important KPIs. Let's let's figure this out together. They go through what's called a data journey. So often they'll say, we don't know, then we'll just say, speculate. I think I'm 80% safe, I think we're, 20% 20% safe. Okay, well debate. Why do you have such polar opposite opinions of how safe you are? And then through that debate, through that exchange of behaviors where they're learning from each other, their different perspectives, they uh, align. Oh, you know what? We're, we're probably somewhere in the middle based on what you just said. I, I see your point of view. So they speculate on their current level of safety, their percentage, then they uh, manually obtain data uh, to support their speculations. And then the stuff that's actually value added, the useful stuff from their manual uh, collection, they'll automate. And then they'll eventually have some type of automated system to help them uh, with their current state of their safety KPIs.
1: Edward, I think you're gonna get to this in a minute, but there was a question that came into the chat box around how do you set the target? What is your feeling on stretch targets?
2: Oh, great questions. Um, so I, I would, um, strongly advise against setting a future state target before you know your current state. It it just doesn't make sense. Um, So if you know you're uh, at 50% right now, and let's uh, say that most of the time, uh, what's over here in ideal states is uh, consistent. So 100% safe is normally ideal states, 0% uh, crashes or 0% uh, defects uh, for quality and so, uh, so on. 100% Uh, 100% on time, these tend to be consistent for ideal state. So if we're at 50% now, ideal state is 100%, well, that's a 50% gap. Never jump to, oh, we want to get to ideal state within one iteration. It's, it's too much of a stretch. Right. If we have a poor understanding of our current state baseline, which I would say is we don't understand why we're at 50% very well. We still have to investigate and diagnose that better. Um, then a basic rule of thumb is uh, double the good or half the bad. Uh, so double the good in this scenario is we're at 50%. We want to get to 100% eventually. So we'll um, double it and we'll get up to all around 75, right? And then we'll get up to around, oh, let's say 85 and then 90 and 95, right? And you, you just keep halfing the bad or doubling the good until you start to reach ideal state.
1: And uh, any any comment on stretch goals or stretch targets?
2: Yeah, Um, so if you are feeling ambitious and if your team is aligned on your future state, so your uh, specific number for what you want to get up to and the objectives uh, or the uh, actions, if we don't like that term actions, uh, the top three to five actions we're going to take to get to that goal. If you've done that for your next iteration, your next um, uh, uh, annual performance, then you can start talking about these. So, okay, well, this is what we're going to get by end of year 2020. Uh, Stretch goals, uh, let's start to talk about those and put those over here in 2021. If the team is halfway through the year and they've already met their end of year objectives and and targets for 2020, dude, start it back in 2021, pull it over, right? Sure. Let's learn, let's uh, adapt or adjust. Right. The, The counter argument to that is, okay, we met our objectives um, six months early for safety we start going after our startup objectives for safety for next year or do we invest that um, that uh, people power and that money that time and energy into the other objectives Mm -hmm. so safety was easy but wow we're way behind on timeline so let's focus on that instead and then we start helping one another across the system does that make sense
1: it does make sense, uh, and from a behavioral perspective uh, setting those uh, those targets and stretch goals, uh, what does that do for someone that you know has a, this target or they they have and, and if they see the alignment in their own objectives toward that target, you know what, what does that do for them personally
2: yeah and, and so that's uh, so there's a, a, a term that's sometimes used in in healthcare and a few other companies called uh, connecting the purpose and this this phrase. Uh, just basically means um, are the actions that I'm taking, the behaviors that I'm taking on a daily basis, connecting to some higher purpose. And and the easier it is for an individual to connect their daily behavior to an overall purpose, the more, if you will, motivated they are to work towards that. So they're not driven just by the audit police and they're not driven just by financial incentives. They actually truly care about this overall objective and this is how they see their behaviors connecting directly to that. The, the classic example probably people might be familiar with is the, the custodian at NASA. Yeah. Uh, do you, are you familiar with that one, Patrick? Oh yeah, absolutely. Would, would you want, mind speaking to it?
1: Sure, so uh, uh, the I, I'm trying to think about all the details, but I, I know that the, the custodian was asked by uh, a president, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, which prep Do you remember which president it was? I, I don't. I don't remember which one it uh, was. Um, Andrew. Andrew. All right, President Kennedy uh, had asked the janitor, "What? What are you doing here? What's your? What, what's? What do you?" And uh, the janitor answered that uh, he was helping put a man on the moon. Right. Uh, so the 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 idea that um, his purpose wasn't he understood his connection with purpose uh, of what the overall mission was of nasa not just to sweep the floors but that he was uh, just one piece of helping put a man on the moon and so uh, just a powerful analogy around that
2: It, it is and i love the the motivation around that he he wasn't keeping the floors clean in order to meet a specific audit score he wasn't doing that in order to meet his bonus for the year. Those helped influence his behavior, but the primary purpose uh, that he saw, the connection that he saw was helping the overall mission of NASA to put people on the moon. And it's it's amazing, right? Yes. Um, so uh,
1: I example. Love, uh,
2: So time check. Ooh, we're getting a little
1: tight. We are getting tight on time. We still still got 15 minutes, so. Okay. We'll
2: leave uh, time for more Q and A. This is a lot to absorb, I I get that, but here's an example of applying this at a program level. So um, instead of the executive level uh, or a project level, which you can apply it, this is a program, so something that's a multi-year. In this case, um, we're looking at uh, one of those years, uh, one piece of the mountain map that they had. Uh, One of the things I want to talk about is in the previous slide, we're using the priority order as determined by Toyota. So they put safety first, then quality, then delivery, then cost, then people morale. Mm-hmm. The program, uh, series of projects. We, they were putting uh, first people slash customer, and this was a huge debate. So I came into this uh, program after it was already started. It was floundering. They weren't hitting um, their goals. Uh, they were way behind schedule. Things like that. And so I I asked them, you know, what is the purpose of this program? This agile transformation you're going under. And half the room said it's a cost reduction activity. We're trying to save um, hours, uh, reduce headcount, count, and things like that. Half the room said, no, our app ratings are horrible. They're at 1.6. They would be lower, but you literally can't give somebody a less than one star rating. <laughs> yeah. So the reason we're trying to have this agile transformation is to improve our app score. And so one side of the room, looked at the other side of the room and told each other they were wrong. Okay, well enter behavioral science, let's figure out why, why you have this different perspective. No, oh, by the way, this difference of California versus Florida might be the reason we're floundering. We're, mm. we're heading in different directions, guys. We're prioritizing our work differently. Let's prioritize our work and get aligned at a leadership level. And then when a developer, somebody that's writing code, somebody that's, um, a scrum master or a project manager is facing a decision. Do I work on something um, that is going to, or deliver uh, uh, a goal, a piece of a project, that's going to help with the operating score or something that'll help with costs? Oops. Oops. Um, uh, should I, what should I do? Should I deliver the code now, even though it's poor quality, right? But I'm meeting my, t- my timeline, my deadline, right uh, no in this case we're putting quality higher than delivery mm-hmm. so the frontline person would say no I intentionally delayed not shipping this um, because the quality wasn't good and when that decision goes up to leadership and they figure out why they're behind they accept that and they say oh that's okay because we put quality higher than we put timeline so that's okay thank you for making that decision It's a powerful technique for prioritizing the KPIs to allow others to make and prioritize work the same way. Uh, So uh, this one's all filled out, you can see iterations. So they, um, what we're talking about earlier, they wanted to go from 1.6 to 1.65. No, not a huge increase in about three months, one quarter then 1.65 to 2.5, ultimately up to a perfect score of five stars. But as you start getting farther up the mountain on your journey you start making more trade-off decisions you know is is an investment in um, improving actions that would uh, help with our overall star score more important than crashes mm-hmm. so they say you know what a one-point improvement in operating isn't as improved, important as improving app crashes Right. They might be related, but uh, uh, from the objectives or um, uh, accomplishments perspective, let's let's switch our investment to another area instead. And you make that trade off decision. Okay. Uh, so reflections, the, the whole point, here's another example from uh, doing an entire uh, division. The whole point on this one is red and greens. So let's say we've, we've had a map, we've been doing it for a while, it's the end of the year. Um, we've been looking at it every month and every quarter. Let's, let's be honest with ourselves and say, hey, our, did we actually meet our goals, objectives, our scores, things like that. This is where you reflect and you do feedback and say, yep, uh, we met or did not meet each of those. So if we look at future state two, the overall safety goal was not met. They wanted to get to 80%, they actually got to 78. So we highlight it red, we show reality. Mm-hmm. The one of the objectives that we thought would help with that, fifty um, percent reduction of variances yes, we we actually met that. um we met this. we did not meet that. We highlighted red, so on. So whatever your company is doing, um, presenting re- reality on the visual helps with that conversation, the behaviors to get them lined up. Right. I'm gonna point out something you won't see yellow in here. So mm-hmm. normally you see stoplight, red, yellow, green, right. Uh, the behaviors in this in this particular organization uh there was low trust uh so people did not feel safe to uh show red they thought it would be associated with themselves they would be punished things like that so we took a, a lesson from nationwide insurance who uh um, they've done fabulous work there lots of presentations and there's a book out there by tom payer and uh some others uh but they talk about the earning the right to use yellow. And what they mean by that is uh, when they started some of their transformations, they only used red or green. Mm-hmm. And the reason was if they allowed people to use yellow, then everything on their version would be either green or yellow and nothing would be red because it wasn't safe to show red. And so in this organization, we by the end of uh, uh, the second year, we still were not safe to show yellow. Uh, So we've made the determination to stick
1: to just, it was red or it was green. Hmm. That's an interesting point. I I like it.
2: Um, So uh, safety, trust, um, these are big components with your visual and and being honest about your current state of the safety and the trust.
1: Yeah, Uh, Um, we have two quick questions, but I know we're running tight on time. Uh, Do you want me to throw these out here real quick, real quick? Yep. Uh, one of them is, uh, what struggles do you have getting the executive leadership team to buy into this? That'd be the first one.
2: Okay. Uh, so if they're brand new to their continuous improvement journey, they have not worked on iterating improving for a period of time, um, it, it's hard. It, it's really hard to get alignment uh, between them. Uh, but uh, that said, I'm gonna talk about uh, ideal state for this for a second. Imagine the beauty of you have the HR um, uh, journey map, their mountain map, and you compare that to the IT mountain map. Uh, You compare that to the uh, uh, finance mountain map, and you see where they line up and they don't line up. And then the executives are allowed to have this conversation where they attack one another's journey maps, uh, mountain maps, to see whether or not they line up and they work on improving those so that they do right shouldn't the uh, mountain map for finance line up with the mountain map for manufacturing you know shouldn't it line up with the one for hr for finance so uh, the best way to get there is probably what part of the question was is to find one executive that's willing to give it a try and, and just work with that one executive and show success with that one executive and that'll spread
1: right uh, there was great, another, great answer. Um, the, the, the other question was, uh, how long does this workshop take? If you were to walk someone through the, this workshop, what, what would the time frame be?
2: Yep. Uh, so um, I've done this in two hours up to eight hours, mm-hmm. and so it depends. Uh, I'm yeah, sure it, it depends a lot um, on the level of debate that happens with the team, how much of the KPI conversation they've had before, how much safety and trust there is with the team. Uh, I'll say that no matter what, there's always work to be done after the workshop. Uh, So you can, uh, if you do a two hour workshop, uh, I would just book a two hour workshop uh, almost every week so that you work through it. Yep. Okay. So real quick, uh, you can do this whiteboard style as well. So not just with uh, um, different digital tools. Um, whiteboard, I'll say most recently, is a lot less popular. Uh, but here are some of the steps that you can see below uh, on how to go through it. Uh, we tend to use non-relevant examples first. So if you're in manufacturing. I like to use a patient experience example. Uh, we use non-relevant examples so people don't get stuck in the content. Uh, the first time people are talking about what is perfect for our space, if you're in IT, you don't use an IT example because they'll get stuck in the content and they'll debate the content and still, instead of learning the structure of the tool and the behaviors associated with it. So use a non-relevant example, in this case, patient experience, get them aligned on what, uh, perfect patient experiences like and then you switch over to okay now that we've learned the structure and the tool and the behaviors and how it works let's apply it to us so uh, patient experience works well for that if you were not in healthcare um, again this is these are examples just like I talked about in the beginning with Herman Miller and some of the terms right. that they used and then translating that over into specific numeric KPIs
1: yeah and this is an example that everyone can understand because everyone has been to a doctor's office so you know, that everyone can kind of play the the uh, position of the patient and understand how this would make sense. And then obviously, like you said, then bring it back to, you know, whatever they're, they're doing within their industry.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, another one we, we use often is um, a coffee shop example. So a lot of people have experienced that. Okay. Um, and then, you know, take it home. So, uh, you know, ACME um, is just a generic uh, terminology, but. You have them discuss what perfection looks like. You have them identify what type of uh, metric category, KPI category it quality delivery morale cost. Then you get into what the specific numerics are associated with that. By going through the workshop, you're teaching people to be able to translate um, specific um, observations, behaviors, actions into measurable items. And that's part of the, the value of the workshop as well, is they learn how to teach this to others. It's a, it's a really simple approach. So that makes it uh, a lot more repeatable. Uh, time check, I'm getting uh, short here. Uh, some websites, additional materials you can go to. Uh, I wanna give a, a shout out, not only to PA Consulting's website and all the beautiful materials they have out there. Obviously, I'm gonna give a plug for my own website. By the way, if you're not familiar with uh, Sir Terry Pratchett, he's a, a prolific author. Um, in, in his books, um, the, the term Kelda just means leader. Uh, here's the, the Lean IT uh, Guide. This is Nationwide's uh, uh, one of their books by Tom Pater and another individual. Uh, I want to talk about this since we talk about strategy so much. Yeah, Getting the Right Things Done by Pascal Dennis. So here's my severely marked up copy. Um, it is the best book on strategy I've ever read. And it just so happens to be a, a lean CI book. I'm gonna say that Pascal Dennis, the author of the book, he deserves an honorary doctorate in behavioral science. Um, he did an excellent job of paying attention to all the behaviors that are necessary in proper strategy development deployment as well as the tools. So.
1: Nice, and that was getting the right things done. Good. Yeah.
2: Yep. uh, Yep. Letter N uh, by Pascal Dennis. Uh, He has a lot of great articles out as well. Perfect. And, And then closer.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.